0: Welcome back to this latest uh, podcast in the series of Patriarch I hope you've enjoyed the journey so far And if you have, would you please tell your friends all about it Get them to visit the Facebook group Bible Novels Or the website BibleNovels.com Thanks there so much But anyway, let's get on with the journey Another difficult podcast, this one As a woman comes to terms with the frailties and failures of her beloved husband. Patriarch, Chapter 2, Part 1. Abram sat on the crag and looked out into the utter darkness of the moonless night. And as he did it, it felt as though he was looking into his very soul. He shuddered as a a sudden chill shot down his spine. In part, at least, it was due to the cold desert night air, but it was more. The memories and with them the fears of that awful night in Luz still haunted him, and yet there was more still. Guilt and shame at how he had so quickly turned from faith to fear an utter self-loathing at how that fear was now about to express itself. Each night he crept away to to find some respite from the accusations of these emotions and to rediscover the peace in God he, he had so recently known but now lost. But he found neither. In fact, if anything, every night he knew less peace, Than the night before. Not that God wasn't there or that he was distancing himself. Abram knew he remained close. On one level, nothing had changed. Abram had learnt enough of his God to know that he didn't come and go like the moon and its gods. But now he was also learning that even if God was there, a darkness could still shroud him. And the worst of it was that this darkness was not external and physical, but rather his inner spiritual darkness. A second chill penetrated seemingly to the very marrow of his bones. The truth was, any separation wasn't God's choice. It was his. Disturbed by the thought, Abram got up and stumbled his way back down to the camp and the entrance of Sarai's tent. This restlessness was nothing new. Each night it drove him out of the camp to find solitude. Then from time to time through the night, it drove him back into the camp to escape the taunting whispers which the stillness allowed to be heard. He only ever got as far as the flap of Sarai's tent and no further. As much as he wanted the warmth and comfort which lay within, he couldn't go there. He paused in the entrance as he had each of these last few nights to listen to the heavy breathing of his love. Then in turmoil, he fled back to the stillness, which for all its mockery was easier to bear. As Abram made his way back onto the crag, the sun was beginning to lighten the sky, if not yet the warm the air, and he could now see back along the path he'd taken the previous day. He sat and reflected again upon this latest journey and its roots, his quest for space and solitude, both to graze and worship, which had caused him to have two problems – The first was a practical one, that the best grazing land was already populated and therefore offered little space. The second was a spiritual one. Why worship a God who you can't believe is able to protect you? The first problem had led Abram deep down into the Negev to settle in a place where conditions could be tough at the best of times and these were not the best of times. He had led his caravan quietly and quickly away from Luz and carried on his migration ever southward. He had followed the protected caravan route which had taken him through the city of Kiriath Arba, which he liked and on another 30 miles through Gerar, where for reasons he didn't understand at the time, he felt far less comfortable. At first, where the land was fertile and water still relatively plentiful, the Canaanites were numerous, and it was only as Abram pressed on into an increasingly arid and dry areas that he found the space he craved. But here is problem was no longer the hostility of the Canaanites, but rather the hostility of the environment, which threatened his whole herd and promised ruin for his household. All around him was evidence of farming and not just the herds and flocks. Abram was used to, here were fields which in in recent times grew, who knew knew what, I mean, wheat or, or barley, Now, however, they were dry and dead. Like the fruit trees and olive groves which stood as a teasing reminder of better times, famine had driven the Canaanites northwards just as surely as they had driven him southwards. And the further Abram went, the worse it became. Abram needed to do something. He couldn't just sit here in what had become a desert and wait for death, but his dilemma was what to do. Faith reminded him of the appearance of his God and told him to trust again and head back up north into the land which God had promised him. Fear reminded him of the Canaanites and more significantly of his failure to confront them. Could he really revisit the place of his fears and failure. The joy of worship he knew for that briefest of time in Luz was becoming a distant memory. Guilt in his faithlessness had made it increasingly hard to approach his God. This in turn had made his God appear so much more remote and therefore smaller in the face of his ever-present fears. There were times when in the cool of the night, Abram would sit under the stars again and remember all God had said and done. At such times, faith rose. A faith which dared to believe God could cope even with his frailty, fears and failures. But such faith was so much harder to live out in the harsh light of day. As the sun rose, all his uncertainties would return to challenge the assurances of the night before. He had chosen his path, a lonely path, which he now had to walk alone and work out by himself the best he could. Oh, he regretted it. He wished he could turn back time but he couldn't. In truth, this latest journey wasn't in obedience to God and in discovery of him, but rather in disobedience and rejection. And so he was trapped, a believer who wanted to believe but couldn't. One who'd experienced so very much to so little effect. And one who had received a call only ultimately to run from it. And now there was only one place to go. His physical and spiritual drought would send him into Egypt. Abram looked south and saw for the first time in the clear morning light the land of the pharaohs. He shuddered again at the unknown and looked back the other way, only to shudder even more what he'd known and experienced in Canaan. He stood and began to descend the mound without appreciating, as he did, that the sun now warmed the chill and shone down on him on his way back to camp. He was oblivious of it and unappreciative of the fact that it would shine on him and warm him all day Regardless of which direction he headed in. And so, he headed off into Egypt in fear, feeling so very alone. And yet, it wasn't all fear. As the caravan moved closer to Egypt, Abram did have a sense of relief, of leaving unsophisticated Canaan for the civilization of Egypt. There was a part of Abram which felt an affinity with the canny, rational Egyptians. He traded with them back in Ur and spoke their language both culturally and up to a point linguistically. He was confident he could reason with them, and the closer he came to Egypt, the more his confidence increased. A great and powerful nation, known for its learning, law and art, all built around a great river. He could be talking about Mesopotamia as much as Egypt. Just one thing scared him. Pharaoh. Perhaps he had been too greatly influenced by the traders he'd met in Ur. Although hundreds of miles from home, they still talked of their king as though he was watching over their shoulders, godlike, ready to strike with Cook and Frail. Abram had always held the utmost respect for this divine king. And now that he was heading in his direction, The pictures his mind had devised of this supreme being became more vivid still. His unease demanded at least caution, if not some precautions, one of which had been humiliating in the extreme. That night... Sarai sensed him outside her tent once again, but lay still, breathing heavily until he stumbled off. Somehow it was easier to feign sleep than face him. The truth was, she couldn't sleep, and hadn't been able to ever since he'd so awkwardly told her of his plans. Instead, she replayed the words again and again, hoping beyond hope to find the nuance she might have missed which would permit her to understand them differently. I know what a beautiful woman you are. Words which always, even after so many years, made her heart quicken. But not this time. Regardless of how many times she rehearsed them, the tone and structure of what was said was all wrong. The words merely introduced a greater thought in an attempt both to explain and excuse it. Consequently, they turned her heart cold rather than warming it. He had continued in a contrived, matter-of-fact way as he appeared to scan the horizon for the unseeable end of the trail they followed into Egypt. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Sarah liked the fact that when nervous or even leering eyes turned her way, Abram came into his own. He would move close to her, never more fully a man, well, at least not publicly, and the eyes of others would turn away, leaving the dignity of her womanhood intact. For her part, she had appreciated the attention of others only for what it brought out in her husband. But as Abram's words queued up in her mind for her her expert analysis, she was aware that his usual pride and confidence wasn't there. Then they will kill me and let you live. He had said it before, of course. He had told her how he would die for her and willingly... It would be the ultimate expression of his love, and the mere utterance of the thought often prompted the ultimate expression of her love. But this time there was no hint of the selflessness which inspired her abandonment to him. Rather, there was a selfishness which caused her, at least inwardly, to step back from him. Say you are my sister. He was pleading with her now, and she was revolted by it. She was his sister, well, half-sister, and wasn't in any way ashamed of the fact. She was proud of it and and talked freely of the fact. The man she loved was hers and of her blood. He was doubly hers. But now that blood was polluted, it was weak and impure so that I will be treated well for your sake and and my life will be spared because of you. (laughs) The reality was that the speech lasted only a few seconds, but had been on constant recall every minute of every day ever since. And each time Sarai reflected upon the horror of what she heard, she would find herself stumbling over these last few words. It wasn't so much what was said which hurt her, but what wasn't. Ordinarily, she could think of no higher calling than somehow to save and enhance the life of her dear husband. She would do anything to compensate for her deficiency and failure in being able to keep safe her love's lineage, even lay down her life. But for the very first time in her life, she had doubts about whether he was worth it. Oh, she tried desperately to reject these doubts, She had never before had occasion to doubt her husband. He was as true as any man could be, and yet the thoughts wouldn't go. They couldn't. Never had he been so shockingly selfish. He had articulated how she could safeguard his well-being. What he hadn't articulated was just what the cost might be to her. Perhaps it couldn't be articulated because it wasn't known. More likely, it wasn't articulated, because it didn't matter. Once again, she tried to shut out the thought and excuse the omission. Ever since they had left Luz, she had sensed Abram's growing inner turmoil. Far from finding relief as they moved away from Canaan, Abram's confidence in his God, which had up until then rubbed off on her and excited her, seemed to dissipate that bit more with every step. The further they headed south into the desert, the more remote Abram became. Not only did he not desire her, but he even seemed to avoid her. Increasingly she felt she was an irritation or even a burden to him, although she had no idea why. She simply couldn't understand the change which had come over him and in her ignorance had but one explanation. It was her usual explanation of all things bad. It was her failing and curse, which impacted all those in any way dependent upon her and understandably evoked revulsion in them towards her. But why now? Was it the barrenness of the desert which had finally caused Abram to appreciate the true implications of the barrenness of her womb? But then again, why now? When Abram knew desert so well, and and why now? When he had seemingly not only come to terms with her barrenness, but recently somehow believed beyond it. Oh, where had this faith gone? Where had this selfishness come from? You're listening to The Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to BibleNovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support overseas mission.